Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. I'm your host, Alex Burkett. This week, we have a bonus episode of the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining me is Lee Chambers. He's an environmental psychologist, a well-being consultant, and the founder of Essentialized Workplace Wellbeing. He talks about the different industries that he went through to find his passion, what he wanted to do as a future career. He talks about overcoming the obstacle of not being able to walk and how he didn't use that as a negative, but wanted to do anything he can to show his kids and his family and his friends that he can overcome anything. He also talks about what he feels is important about being a well-being consultant, and he gives his tips and advice on how we as individuals can become better people and how we can use our thoughts to make a big difference in this world. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you follow and subscribe on all major podcast platforms that you enjoy listening to them on. And remember, this Monday, or if you're listening on a different time, September 21st is when we launch the Rise to the Challenge podcast YouTube channel, and you don't want to miss who our first guest is. So sit back. And relax. Enjoy the rise to the challenge of Lee Chambers. Welcome back to the show. Join me today. He's a life coach, trainer, motivational speaker, and business owner. It's Lee Chambers. How are you doing today, Lee? I'm great. Thanks for having us on, Alex. Thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, when you told me about your story, it was kind of amazing about the mission that you go through, and it kind of fits our podcast really well with how you use what you're going through as a motivational tool to help others get to where they want to be. So with all of our guests, we like to start right at the beginning. What were you involved in growing up? Yeah, so I was, I was young. I was inquisitive. I was curious and I was disruptive. So I, both my parents were blue-collar workers and worked really hard to ensure that we always had food on the table and a roof over our heads. And I identified quite young that I, I was, I was quite intelligent, so I was doing quite well at school from a young age. And no one in my family had ever been to university before. So my parents were like, you know, go through college, go get to university, you'll do the family proud and you'll probably show a different path to uh, future generations that you can go into education and do well. So I, I like playing sports. I like playing computer games. I like actually playing with statistics and patterns, which most people like. That's not interesting. But I was like, yeah, I like this kind of stuff. Like, in the very early days of data, I was there, like, crunching stuff. I like to kind of optimise systems. So in many ways, I was finding myself doing interesting things and playing you know, really niche games from quite a young age. Um, so in a lot of ways, that was kind of like me, and I was really always expressing myself. Sometimes that would get me in a bit of trouble. Um, but I generally kind of cruised along. I was quite, I've always been quite a relaxed person and a very calm personality. So that also kind of transcends into a certain element of laziness. Uh, when I was younger, I was certainly lazy. Um, and... I was doing well at school without putting much effort in, so I didn't put any more effort in um, and just passed through the system nicely. And 
in many ways it was a uh, it's quite a, quite a smooth and comfortable childhood. Uh, we always had our basic needs met, and there was never really too much trouble. Uh, and in some ways, that could be considered a good thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was part of the reason why I actually then started to struggle when I tried to move to the next stage of my life and suddenly hit challenges, obstacles and bumps in the road. I hadn't really had enough of that in my childhood to prepare me for what was coming on my journey. You mentioned that your family was pushing you to go to university. What were they wanting you to do if you didn't go to university? So in so many ways, I think that discussion never really happened. Um, I was obviously doing well and my grades were really high. So for me, it just seemed like a logical path, mm -hmm. given the fact that when my parents looked at it objectively, it wasn't great at manual tasks. So my coordination isn't amazing, I'm blind in one eye. So I've got... Uh, when it comes to like the kind of more uh, more physically engaging types of work, it didn't look like I was going to go down that path just from my own strengths and character traits. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really question it too much. And naturally, what kind of happens in that particular scenario is around forty percent of people go to university here, and when you do well at school, you get placed in the classes where people are also doing well. You go through to sixth form college, which is between 60 and 18, and measures you to find which university you're going to go to. But when you go there, almost everyone is going to go to university. Mm -hmm. But what happens is you're surrounded by people who are fighting for university places, and that narrows your vision. You really don't end up thinking about anything else. And in so many ways, it then just becomes your journey because you're surrounded by people who are applying to university, you're applying to university, and you're going to go here and move here. And all of a sudden, what you don't do is look outside and see that there's other options. And I think there's more awareness around that now. That, for me, was almost 20 years ago. It simply wasn't the resources, wasn't the awareness that you, you, know, you can go and work and get experience and then come back into education. Almost everyone would exclusively go from school to college to university and then out into the world of work. So, yeah, in so many ways, it just never really came up as an option. If I was there now and, for example, my youngest brother, he is probably more academically talented than I am, but he didn't go to university. So he's seven years younger. By that point, he went to college, finished college, and decided he didn't want to go to university, didn't want to go and get a student debt. He wanted to live and work out what he wanted to do. So fast forward nine years, and he started university this year at the age of 27. So he's taken a very different path because he stepped back. He didn't follow the flow of all his friends. And now he's in a slightly different place because he self-taught himself Japanese, moved out to Japan and worked for a few years, came home, went and moved out to Thailand and worked there for a few years and come back. And now he almost laughed because a lot of the students who he studies with haven't lived that life. Mm -hmm. 
they're only 18. And they almost see him as like the elder and ask him for life advice. And it's quite funny. And he's like, oh, I'm only 27. Well, but you've got to live on the other side of the world. (laughs) In so many ways, I might have done that, but not back then when there wasn't the awareness that you could actually step out and then come back at a later point. I think you noticing now definitely where like in the United States also people have many different paths and I think it's all about you have to look at what do you want to accomplish what are your goals what do you want to pursue in a way and a lot of people maybe not didn't have to go to college right away because they wanted to make money because they couldn't afford it and now you see them being able to afford it and going to college and getting that degree that they want. And I think it's, for me, when I was growing up, my family was telling me, you have to go to college. If you're not going to go to college, you better have a good plan to how you're going to make money, pay bills, and all of that. So I knew that I had to go towards that college role. And I don't regret it. Um, it was the best four years experience that I had, and it taught me a lot. But I was one of those people where I'm more street smart than book smart. Education, I'm like, I don't want to sit in the classroom all day. I want, I'm like, get me out into the real world. And it kind of just shows now with my career that I think that street smart was where I wanted to be. And I think that they need to start teaching some of that street smart in college so people can be prepared. Because a lot of them, they graduate, but then it's like they don't know what to do. They don't know how to pay bills. They don't know how to do taxes and all that stuff. So kind of with your brother, how he went in a different direction, but then he came back to it. And him being that older person, he can definitely help those younger kids and help them with what they do going forward. Did you have any motivations or what was your dream job growing up? Um, so like all young boys, you have the kind of aspirational dream. I wanted to be a racing car driver. Oh. And it was obviously quite funny because being blind in one eye and <laughs> <laughs> it kind of goes against you, but I, I, I really like the idea of, of driving something fast and dangerous around a track and you know, being competitive, mm-hmm. um, I kind of think I got to a point where I realised that, yeah, I, I, I'm not not the fastest at go kart, so maybe it's not <laughs> really a life for me. Um, but I kind of, I've always had an element of entrepreneurship about me as well. That kind of that's knitted through the things that I've done over the years. So when I was seven, I was that child who was asking my mum, "Mum, do you need this? Mum, do you need this?" gradually collecting things, putting a picnic pot when I got a few things together on the end of the street and trying to sell them to people going by with my uh, good friend Anthony. And, you know, we did that a few times and I think that kind of made me think, you know, my parents are working really, really hard and we're getting by, but I'd quite like to forge my own path. Um, And it was around that time that my uncle bought me a Commodore 64. So... My uncle was very much into computers from a very, very uh, early stage. And he was very much his passion, his mission to um, invest in me and have me having a digital understanding. So this is 1992 and I'm there with the Commodore 64 learning how to uh, to navigate the digital world from quite a young age. Again, something that has then threaded through my life. 
Um, and in that same way, I'm probably more digitally agile now than I would have been if I'd have waited another five years for my parents to go out and get some kind of, you know, computational device. Um, but yeah, I actually started to use that knowledge to sell. So at one point I was selling Amiga games by mail order. I was only 12 and I was putting adverts in magazines and getting people to, uh, getting people to buy them and then posting them out at the post office. And then that kind of, that kind of, actually gave me quite a bit of pocket money and I, you know, I lavished on magazines and all sorts back then. Um, and I was also that kid as well who realised that there was, a, there was a paper shop that sold sweets and candy near my school that was very close to its use-by date, so it was always really cheap. So I got to the point where I got a massive bag and used to go to that shop and then take it into school and sell it. And it got to the point where I was making, I was making you know, $20, $30 a day. Wow. And that was pretty good money when you're like 14, 15, until the head teacher decided that, you know, you're starting to carry your bag bigger with candy than your bag with all your schoolwork in. <laughs> <laughs> and we have health and safety and hygiene rules, and you've not got any certificates, so you can't sell on the school property. Ah, well. <laughs> Putting a little upsell in there. Yeah, and, and that, that's just, I was always, you know, that, that statistical mindset. So I was looking at the margin on this um, and, and that kind of like, oh, is, is there any way I can run all, all algorithms to think, right, so I can sell that thing. And you were all, learning a lot of those skills at a young age, which I think a lot of kids nowadays, if they were going through that same thing, they would probably enjoy it because they're learning those skills that they're using now and but you were starting young and it's kind of hearing it it's like okay you and now knowing what you do now in the entrepreneurial way it's kind of like you kind of had that goal like it kind of makes a full circle like you started at a young age and now what you're doing it's kind of like okay it was worth learning at a young age would you say that uh, someone at, at when you were 12 you kind of enjoyed learning all those business side stuff. Because the truth is, what you find is you, you don't really learn much business in school. Correct. You learn lots of technical aspects of different subjects. But the truth is, unless you're going to go into specific fields, you're never going to use them. But that kind of practicing of entrepreneurship and business at a young age, you start to learn how to communicate. Does it sell if you, if you put it this way or does it sell if you put it that way? Like the aspects of marketing, you start to look at people's behaviours. That's mm -hmm. understand a little bit of psychology. You start to look at the finance element and start to see how money works and how interest can compound and how you can, you know, push prices depending on what's happening. You start to look at the kind of economic scenario. So say, you know, your friends all of a sudden their parents get made redundant, we're going to have less money for sweets. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of, you start to look at the world in a more interconnected way, which is a massive part, it's probably the biggest part of my own mindset and probably my biggest strength is that by kind of being in that like practice, experimenters mindset, so I was experimenting from a young age. I really like being in the science lab putting loads of chemicals together and uh, setting fires off it, that kind of thing. Because again, it kind of fits my idea of trying and seeing see different things and 
again, those little elements of business, you start to learn about people, you start to learn about money, you start to learn about how you can make a living, you start to learn what works and what doesn't. Sometimes you're going to fail, but it's good to have those experiences because when you go out into the real world, you have to understand people, you have to understand how to communicate, you have to understand how to manage your money, you yep. have to understand how to look after yourself. Oh, wait a minute. Don't learn any of that at school. You've learned that from practicing and growing up. And if you have a childhood where you don't expand yourself out to practice those, I mean, even for me, I went to university and started to, it started to be broad. So I started to think, I'm just going to go and get a career. I'm just going to go and get a career. Because you're in that place where university is college in America, for a lot of people, it prepares you for a specific career. Yeah. And even though I went and did a degree with a wide, wide variety of subjects, so I did international business psychology, so I had units in geopolitics, in communication, in, in business, in psychology, uh, and in language, and that gave me quite a wide variety of skill set, which was, which was good, because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do mm-hmm. at that point. I just knew that I quite like business, I quite like people. I really liked looking at the world and yeah, let's do something that encompasses a bit of all what I like and maybe I'll be able to work out where I want to go. Uh, but university, I actually started to struggle with the adolescent to adult transition and I didn't have a great example of what it was like to be a man from my own family because my dad was always out working mm-hmm. when he was when he wasn't working, he was kind of doing what he wanted to do. So I didn't really have that connection and bond. I looked out to society and really, you know, kind of as a young black male, I'm looking and like rapper over there and I'm not like him. Sportsman over there, no, I'm not really like him either. I don't recognise any of those people, don't look like me. Um, and then I was like, look, trying to look into myself, like, who am I? And I was like trying to dig. I didn't have the emotional intelligence or the self-awareness to get deep enough to really be able to express myself authentically. So it actually led me to struggle with my mental health. I started to isolate myself. I started to struggle with my studies. And then I froze on stage presenting to 300 other students. And that knocked my confidence a bit more. We actually got to the point where I isolated myself from my dorm for two weeks. My parents came and took me home. And that was the first time I fell into a, a trench in my life and I didn't really know how to handle it. Instead of approaching it and trying to work through it and, you know, get dirty digging, I started to avoid it. And that led me to spiral down even further and get to the point where I wasn't, you know, caring for myself properly. I wasn't going out and connecting with people. I just sat there and it got worse. So yeah, again, all, all that experience that I had, you know, growing up, it was useful. But it hadn't prepared me for failing in my own life and then not knowing how to handle that. Mm-hmm. I had a similar situation where my dad was going through a lot of personal things. And so I was having to grow up kind of on my own. Like I, my mom, my parents are divorced and I didn't have my dad when I was in high school and college. So I didn't have like what who was going to prepare me. And luckily my mom helped but she kind of saw that I was doing a lot on my own. I was an individual kind of person. And yeah. 
I kind of did a lot of research in a way. Like I kind of had a, I couldn't really use TV because TV doesn't give a good perception of what life is and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, but I kind of learned that you have to be confident in what you're doing and the things that you do, you have to stand by it. So a lot of people maybe not agreed with the things that I did, but I was confident enough and I showed them that this is what I'm going to do. And they see now like, okay, you made the right decision in the stuff that you did. But now growing up and living on my own and all that, it's kind of like, okay, I think I'm doing everything right. But I'm always a person that I'm going to learn. Like I learn every day and I do these interviews and I always learn something new about myself. When you were going back home after university and you were going through that downward spiral, what did you do to overcome those obstacles and how did it make a difference in a positive direction? Yeah, so what kind of happened is I was ta I got taken home and I failed that year because I isolated myself through exam period and not turned up to any of my exams. So I was taken home and literally at that point I was rock bottom. I just didn't really know what to do myself. But what kind of happened is, in many ways, I started to ask myself questions. I was like, why is this happening? And I started to think, you know what? I need to kind of take the emotion out of this for a minute and really actually look why it's happened. And I kind of saw and looked, and this was, this was you know, this was over 15 years ago. There wasn't the awareness around male mental health and men navigating their emotions. And there wasn't the you know, the forums to go and get information from. There weren't the people on campus to speak to. Um, things have changed an awful lot, but back then, really, it just required me to step back and say, look, just, just take the emotion away for a second, what actually happened. And I started to realize I tried to avoid it. I had to approach it. I had to try and find out who I was. And actually then, it clicked. I realized that I've been suppressing my emotions, so I needed to let them come. And as I gradually let them come, they then passed. And suddenly I had clarity of mind, and I was like, actually, I feel a lot better for letting those things emotions come. I've had a few weeks where you know, I've, I've let them, I've tried to express them positively. And again, I started to realize all these emotions we have for a reason. The whole spectrum from the deepest despair to the blazing joy. Go express them all. Just about trying to express them in a more positive way. So I kind of got to that point and started to realise, you know what? I can go back to university and do the exams that I've missed. I can get back on that stage and go and speak again because it wasn't me who failed. I just failed to prepare enough. And looking back objectively, I realized that I'd just gone onto that stage of confident that I was going to be fine. And I hadn't prepared at all, really. And that, that's, that's why I failed. And then I started to realize, actually, living alone, I'd had all the autonomy and all the fun, joining all the new societies and doing all the new things in the first six months for that all to fall apart. I realized, actually, I just need to do it at my own rate. I'm quite introverted. I'm quite happy to be individualistic. I'd actually pushed myself in some ways too far outside my own zone and pushing the boundaries. And as I've started to kind of realize as years have gone by, you know, I'm not neurotypical. And yet I was probably pushing to be more neurotypical than I should have been. And that has 
some ways started to burn me out and led me to really start to struggle and started to get a bit of a grasp on that. And when I did, I actually started to get the ability to become more self-aware and start to question myself and start to dig that bit deeper into, okay, so why do you feel this way? And when you're not in that emotional spiral, it's a bit easier to kind of dig and find an answer. And then I started to realise that actually, I could start to understand who I was. These questions will help, but I won't truly find my path until I go out there and do it. Go out there and take action, do things. Some things will resonate, some things won't. That's how you understand. I'm only going to find out who I am by going out there. Not by reading, not by thinking, not by looking at society, not by asking other people. You can talk to other people, but their well-intentioned advice was from through their lens. And I kind of decided that actually I'm going to go and find out who I am. I'm not going to conform. I'm not really going to take much advice. I'm going to see where that takes me. So I went back to university, managed to graduate. And at that point, I was like, okay, so what do I do now? <laughs> and then it just, it kind of, I started to think, right, so... Let's be objective. What do you really enjoy? Statistics, patterns, data. What's the other thing that you enjoy? Helping people. Right. Put those together. What do you get? Financial advisor. <laughs> so I, des- I decided I was going to go and help people with the finances, to include the financial well-being, and get my lovely daughter playing with figures and monetary values and economies so i went off and i managed to get onto a graduate scheme so i got the job this was 2007 (laughs) (laughs) so i worked really hard for the first six months waiting for the approval on my professional qualifications so i could get chartered and then early 2008 hits and suddenly people above me are packing up the desks and it's like oh dear (laughs) 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 <laughs> and then and then a week later I get pulled in by my boss and he's like sorry they pulled the funding for your training so can you even try and pay for it yourself um, but we'll see what happens things are not looking great at the minute uh, a few weeks later I got pulled in and he said look your job's done I'm so sorry <laughs> oh. um, and this was like I've been there six months I've worked so hard and I was like no that's not fair. Why? But then I went home and I went back home to my parents and I was like, I had some time to reflect and realise, okay, so this is kind of like the second pothole. I had the mental health problems, but I climbed out of that by stepping back and taking ownership over my own self-awareness and building myself back up. So can I do that again? And I thought, you know what? Firstly, professional qualifications. Can't rely on corporations to train me if their budgets change and economic circumstances are always changing. Mm-hmm. How can you solve that? Pay for them yourself. Aha, perfect. Right, so how am I going to get the money to pay for them myself? Well, I'm going to go and get a job, but I can't get a job back in financial advisory. There is no jobs. Yeah. So you're going to need to go and do something else while you find out what you want to do, but at least to pay well. Looks out of jobs, new graduate well paid, not really much going out there. <laughs> so I'm like, right, what can I go and do that 
pays quite well, doesn't take much effort because there's one place where you can't get made redundant from your own business. Yep. If it fails, then that's that's on you, and you'll learn a valuable lesson. You're never going to make yourself redundant. So I was like, right, I need to go and work somewhere where it doesn't take a lot of energy, but I can get a paycheck. That gives me the capacity to set up a business myself. Set up a business myself, make that successful, make enough money, pay a few qualifications. Excellent. So that began a plan, which worked incredibly well. I went and got a job at local government in efficiency management, which not really hard work. Eight hours a day, kind of probably two hours work a day. Um, and set up a video game business, and that started from my mum and dad's back bedroom. Is effectively an evolution of selling sweets. So I was finding stock that was reduced, that was lost leaded, buying as many units as I could, and then reselling it on marketplaces. And in the first year, I made up, I made six-figure revenue in the wow. first year. And so that was a hell of a lot of games. I just realized that this model, it works pretty well. I can, I can scale it up. So, I mean, I doubled the revenue for the first few years while still working jobs. It got to the point where I was starting to automate processes. So I still had the time to do everything. And that kind of all of a sudden, I went out and bought my first house. And I was like, wow, I, you know, I, could, I bought myself a car and life was good. I, I met my wife and then things were floating along. And in so many ways, I was kind of like, yeah, I, I might have stumbled across it here. And I, start, I actually decided that I didn't want to do financial advisory qualification. So that's a job which is so up and down. You know, in the, in the summer, everyone wants you. And in the winter, nobody wants you. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I'm really interested in, I'm really interested in people, aren't I? I really like people. I really like statistics and data. Okay, so people, data, people. How about health? Ah, oh, that sounds pretty good. So... I decided I'd done psychology at Lawrence University, but let's see if we can do some physiological stuff. So I started doing some qualifications around nutrition, worked them up to level four, and then did strength and conditioning up to level four, and then started doing soccer coaching just because I could. Um, and I was kind of like, at this point, you know, business was business was good. I just had my son, um, and life is quite rosy. In 2013, we buy our first house together, like a big family home, um, and we get married. We go on a honeymoon, travel around Florida, and then cruise around the Caribbean. And in so many ways, society is thinking right now that you know you're in a comfortable place. Um, and then my wife gets pregnant with our daughter, and it gets to the summer of 2014, and everything just seems to be floating along. And then in the space of a week, we become seriously unwell. Lose, lose the ability to walk and suddenly can't look after myself. And uh, if that wasn't a, a change in direction, um, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Did, when you got to that summer of 2014 and you were, uh, when you lost the ability to walk, was there like anything going on before that that you kind of like noticing was happening maybe in yourself? Like, losing feeling and all that or did it come like out of nowhere it was it was literally instant so five days from fully independent fully mobile feeling 100 percent myself to 
five days later, stuck in hospital bed, can't show myself, can't feed myself properly, like nowhere, <laughs> and very, very quick. So during that time, was what was the mindset going with you and your wife? Like, was it like, we don't know what's going to happen, what are we going to do? Or were you guys taking back and just staying calm before you make any decisions right away? Okay, so initially, my wife was devastated. She was six months pregnant, and my prognosis didn't look great. I was, uh, I was in an awful lot of pain, and my knees, my wrist, and my shoulder were swollen to the size of a football. Ooh. And the, uh, yeah, my ligaments, tendons, and everything had been pushed all around. And yeah, she was, she was, she was upset, but she was, you know, doing her best to try and look after me. I went through, I initially was shocked, so I'd had it just all taken away, and I didn't really have any way to process that initially, I was in shock. When the shock wore off, I hit frustration and despair, I hit the, I'm healthy, I've looked after myself, 29, I don't even know what's happening, but this don't feel very fair, and I've literally just turned 29 when this happened. And I've been thinking in my head, you know, what we're going to do before I'm 30 and I have to be sensible because I've got children and my age begins with a three. So I've like, expanded and thought about all these things and then all of a sudden, boom, can't do any of that. In fact, you can't even wipe your own bottom properly. And it's like, whoa, okay. So, yeah, that initially, that don't feel bad. That kind of, that started to pass, moved to grief. I was like, I'm a, I'm a young man. I'm physical. I'm athletic, I'm independent, and I'm quite individualistic and go out and do things and make decisions and choices. And at the moment, everything's taken away from me. And I'm feeling a little bit sorry about that. And those feelings kind of, I, again, from my past experiences with emotions, I knew how to let them settle, let them pass. Don't bottle them up and face the issues that you do later when you do that. And it got to the second week and what happens is you get a lot of time to reflect when you're stuck in a hospital bed and you can't move effectively. Um, and I was just there one afternoon, just kind of watching the world go by from the hospital windows and something just popped into my mind that really changed my whole frame of view on things. It was simply, I've been on this planet 29 years and I've never once been grateful for being able to walk. And that just hit me. And I was like, wow, okay, it's true. Like, not been grateful. I never, ever thought that before. And then that expanded out a little bit and I realized, you know what? The people coming to help me do basic things, putting aside their lives to come and help me and doing it and not asking for anything in return. I've been grateful to those people who've now stepped up to help me. Not as grateful as I should have been. And then it just went even wider. And I was like, you know what? Could be an orphan on the other side of the world where there's no hospital facilities and we've got no one to help them. But instead, I've been born in the UK. I've never been hungry, never been homeless. But free education, free healthcare, freedom to set up a business, opportunities around every corner. Like, why should I lie here and be sorry for myself? And that just began a process of me saying, right, so I'm not sure where I'm going to go. It's uncertain. 
But what is certain is that if I'm proactive in my recovery, I take ownership of this disease. I attack it as much as it's attacking me. And I don't place the limit, any limits on myself and see where I can get to, then I can probably recover quite well because I went in quite well. Surely I can bounce and come back out the other side at least as well as I can and not limit that by thinking that I can't do that, but just seeing, okay, so what can I do? How can I adapt? What can I change? How can I, you know, find assistance for this? And that just, again, changed my mindset in a lot of ways. And I became proactive. So I got discharged from hospital, went into walking rehab. My daughter was born. Looking at her, I was there thinking, by the time she's walking, I'm going to be walking as well. Not part of why really drove me on. Visualising, running around the garden with my children. My son was only 18 months old when I went in, so I didn't really understand why daddy suddenly couldn't walk. But I was determined to show him that, you know, daddy could go from not walking to walking again and get through challenges and be someone who was, you know, active against threat instead of just deciding to roll up in a ball, avoid it. I was going to approach it again and go all in on my recovery. And, you know, it was hard. A lot of mornings I was in agony. I was in pain. I was stiff. I was just finding it, you know, it was rough at times, but I did my exercises, I did my physio, I did what I needed to do. I had a few setbacks, but after 11 months, I walked a mile unaided, stood by that lamppost thinking, I'm knackered, but you know what? I've started to push towards that potential. If I can do this, what else can I do? I think something about your story is definitely inspiring is we talk with a lot of people and they kind of, it all depends on their mindset and what they want to be thinking. If they're going to have those negative mindsets, it's going to affect them in the future and they're not going to be able to accomplish anything. And I know with my condition I go through, I don't let that bother me because that's just an obstacle. And I'm always about rising to the challenge and overcoming all the obstacles. And your mindset was, yes, I'm going through something, but it's not going to stop me. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to complete anything I need to do to get to where I want to be. So transitioning from that time to now, have you been able to accomplish those goals that you've been wanting to do? Yes. In so many ways, I'm now up and I'm mobile and after getting to that point and going for a period where I was like, right, I'm gradually pushing my limits a bit further and walking a little bit further. I got to the point where I could walk a few miles again. And that was a massive thing at the time. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to run effectively and had to kind of process that and accept that. Started playing for a disability soccer team which gave me, you know, my competitive edge, part of a collective of people who've had similar experiences. And that really kind of forged me to think, right, I've kind of worked on this challenge and I've got very close to where I could probably get to. What's next? So the next challenge was, I'm on this medication. It dampens my immune system so it doesn't attack my joints. Can I optimise my life using data, statistics, the latest science to control it myself? 
and that started a process of documenting every element of my life by journaling. So I'd journal how different ingredients in food made me feel by isolating, bringing it back in again, started experimenting with my sleep, my movement, seeing what was too much, what was not enough, working on my sleep environment and seeing what routines worked, what didn't, the temperature, my bedding, you know, the darkness, my utilizing, you know, AM and PM routines. I started, you know, playing with meditation and mindfulness looking at gratitude and journaling, just trying to work out how can I kind of optimize myself. In so many ways, I'm, you know, I, I work in, in a psych, psychological environment, but your psychology and physiology is massively interconnected. And it's not something that's often thought about in the bigger scheme of things, especially in big pharma. They just want to isolate, solve, and then break the whole system by, you know, solving one problem, 10 side effects. With that interconnected, and I kind of have that mindset, so I was like, how can I make small changes in all these things that are individual to me, that work for me to compound to become something bigger? And that process, you know, documenting that, I got to the point where I knew what I could eat that would energize me. I knew what I could tolerate. I knew what drained me. I knew what set my information off. I got to the point where I knew my sleep and biorhythm and knew exactly what worked for me and how consistent I could stay with that. I knew how I could train myself to be as fit as possible, but not push myself to the point of fatigue, pain and stiffness. And that was, uh, I mean, that was a long process. What it did is I can now have the acuity to understand my body massively. Because your body gives you an awful lot of feedback, but we're also dulled to listening to it. But when you're really tracking and training that, now I know if I eat something, it's, it's not doing me good. I just know. I just feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it's actually done is um, it took a long time because naturally medication challenging and I flared up a few times and had a few issues. But this is six years after I got discharged last week. Last week was also the last dose of medication that I took, and I've fully staved off it with the help of my consultant over the last year. So that was that particular challenge, which is now complete as of last week. And again, I'm doing everything I can to ensure that I don't have to go back. I'm realistic that you never know because it's such a complex, complex uh, condition that I've got, and yet it's kind of tied in with me now building this business, which looks at helping other people to really go through my journey. That self-awareness and defining who you are, how to express yourself authentically, looking at how you can then express that to the world and impact your career, your business and the direction that you want to go. So building a vehicle to take you on your journey and then looking at your physical and your mental health as your biggest asset. So I almost say, right, so we're starting with your satellite navigation. So we're going to dig deep into you and find out where you need to go. We're then going to help you build either your career or your business. That's going to be your car. You're going to put your sat-nav into your car. We're then going to build you so you're not, you know, drowsy. You've actually got the energy for the journey. And then, after, and then at the end of the process, I'm going to help you choose which mountain you're going to drive up. 
and then I'm going to help you build a plan to get up there. And that has then become the, the foundation of Essentialize, which has then also morphed over the past year to work within businesses as well. So I also do well-being within organisations, but I've started to look at organisational cultures and how leaders can also do a similar thing with the business to become a leader who leads themselves first, sets the example for all the employees that they lead, leads with consciousness and self-awareness about other people, about all the potential that they have, about how, at the end of the day, that business is also a vehicle to drive up the hill. All your employees need to know what hill you're driving up. And there, I effectively, your business is like a, is like a bus, like a school bus, mm-hmm. and all your employees are sat there. They want to know that you. They want to know and see the peak where you're going. They want to know they're on the right bus. They want to know that the driver is physically, mentally well, and they want to know that the journey, the company's ready for the obstacles that are going to come. They're going to know that if there's loads and loads of traffic on that mountain, that they're going to be able to reroute, find the way around. And on the days where you know it's so icy that the bus can't go anywhere that everyone still stays together and no one jumps off the bus and runs back down the hill. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, I like to put it as an analogy sometimes, but, yeah, that's kind of what I do. I know I, I'm a person that analogies work best for me. Like, if you can put it in a scenario, like, I think people can understand the concept a little bit more than someone just, like, reading a book, a textbook kind of way. It's yeah. kind of like when I was in school – if you give me like a scenario that I would know now, like, oh, this business is doing it this way and but stuff like that. But it kind of, I totally understand the whole the scenario situation. You want to be able to any obstacles that come in front of you, are you able to overcome them? And I always use like an obstacle course in a way. If you can't take on and a certain obstacle well how are you going to adapt to it how are you going to overcome it so you can complete it because you're not just going to go okay i'm done i'm just going to go right back to the beginning you're going to find a way to get across it some way so what does the future look like for you what are your next goals you want to accomplish so yeah given the given the medication goal is like a big personal one that i've you know got to that next point with now and I'm really pushing on. Now, for me, it's taking essentialize and building something that becomes you know, part of my legacy, really. Wanting to leave the world a happier and healthier place. And now I'm really working with more and more people, more and more individuals, more and more business to make that impact, to help people to start to navigate themselves, navigate the world, increase the responsibility towards those healthy behaviours, in so many ways, a big part of it, and I go and speak in education now about my journey, about the future of work, and about, ultimately, obstacles make you stronger. Yep. And the more you climb, the stronger you get. And if you actually have the mindset that obstacles make you stronger, you suddenly don't see these obstacles as a threat. You see them as a challenge to step up, to jump higher, to become more. And... In so many ways, that is our life. Our life is like a heartbeat on an ECG. You are up the top of a mountain, but then you're down the bottom of a trench again. You know, the, the summer's, winter's coming again. You're going to be down there, but it's about having the resilience, the proactivity to know that you don't put your head down 
in the trench, you've got your head up and you're looking at that next mountain because you're going to go back up there. You believe you can, you will do. Life is like that. Life isn't a flat line. Success isn't flat either. And if your life was a flat line and there was no discomfort and there was no uncertainty, well, you'd be dead. Yep. You kind of mentioned it when you were saying that about the whole mountains and all of that. I think is you kind of have to do like a self-reflection in your own way. If you're not getting, if you're not pushing yourself and everything's just, oh yeah, this is easy. Oh, I'm gonna get it. To, I'm gonna be able to do this. Are you doing enough? Because a lot of times you have to go through those downhills and learn about yourself that can help you grow as a person. And I definitely have experienced a lot of ups and downs, but I've learned from it and I know how to adapt to certain situations. And I know some people that, oh, they have it easy. Their lives look easy. But it's like, are they learning anything about themselves? Like, they're not going to be prepared in those situations where it's going to hit them and boom, what are they going to do now? But like for me, I'm able to adapt and I'm going to be able to overcome certain things. Yeah, and it, again, it's, it, in life, so many things are about practice. And we don't suddenly give up riding a bike when we're a child because we keep falling off. We keep practicing until we've got our balance, our ability to pedal, our ability to steer, and our ability to look in front of us. And that's quite a challenging thing because you're having to process four different things at once when you're riding a bike. It's not an easy process. Which is why no child jumps on a bike and goes, wee, off I go. <laughs> and in so many ways, living, becoming more resilient and honing your mindset, it's that process, it's practice. And it requires you to continually step outside of your comfort zone. Not massively, just a bit. Just go up to the edge of that comfort zone and step over it. You can put a toe over every day, start to build resilience start to practice but the challenging times what you actually do is you start to make yourself comfortable with being a little bit uncomfortable yep. and that gives you a lot of fuel when things get really uncomfortable because you practice this you can do it and the comical reality is the reason for that isn't because you started to be comfortable with being uncomfortable it's because by being uncomfortable you grow. And when you grow, the problem hits you. It's not as big a problem because you're a bigger person. And in so many ways, people try to avoid that discomfort. They don't want to step up to that door that feels scary and open it. The truth is on that on the other side of that door of fear, it only takes a little bit of courage mm -hmm. to just push through that door. On the other side of that door, is your development, is your potential, is it what you actually want? Just got to have that little bit of courageous action to push it. And that again becomes easier the more that you do it. Practice it, just becomes who you are. You put yourself out there a little bit, you put yourself out there a little more. All of a sudden you notice that those people, the wind comes, they've always got courts in the winter because they've been knitting it in the summer. They're prepared, they're ready. You've got to kind of almost do that in life and can modern parenthood try to try to keep me in comfort zone all the time. Mm -hmm. Never really want to push you out. It's scary out there. Yeah. 
but you're not ready. You've got to be, you, you've got to have those challenges. Challenges make you grow. They make you step up. They make you become the person who you are. You can spend a life in your comfort zone, but you'll you'll get to you'll get to your later life. Wish that you pushed yourself and been able to authentically express yourself. And you just realise you're the same person you were all those years ago. No more wise, just old. <laughs> <laughs> the final question we ask our guests is: Someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give them to rise to their challenge, to overcome any obstacles, and complete their missions? So I would say the first thing is make sure you get the awareness of your mission. It does require you to reflect, to ask yourself some questions, just to look back on your failures, move the emotion and pick them apart. There's data in there that tells you don't do that again. There's bits in there that say, mm, that's actually quite useful for the future. And in every failure, a little bit of treasure it's going to be really valuable in your journey going forward. Then, accept reality. So, where you are today is a result of the thousands of decisions you've made in the past. Can't change those now. Accept those. Once you've accepted, you can suddenly become consistent and commit to getting that little bit more out of your life, getting a little bit outside your comfort zone. Commit to do it every day. That's incredibly powerful and it compounds. At first, it feels a bit meh. Don't feel great. After a year, put yourself out there a little bit, all of a sudden, you'll hit the ramp, the ramp up where someone is pulling in. You. you get the force, you get the momentum, the wheel is spinning, and all of a sudden, you're able to step that bit further out, a bit further. So you start to rise above the people who are just comfortable. But more, you start to rise into yourself, into your own potential. Suddenly, you can express you, not feel that you can't. No longer silence. Confidence is not something that you get. You already get the confidence inside of you. Confidence, the meaning of the word, is just inner trust. A deep burning in trust in yourself. Well, when you test yourself, step up, fail, assess, go back again. When you do that, you start to become really confident. Because not only do you ignore yourself, but you trust yourself to go again, to keep stepping up. And in so many ways, it's just really grasping that concept. It's not difficult. It's not always easy to implement after a lifetime of comfort, but it is very simple. Whatever scares you a little bit, probably where you're going to grow. Yep. And it's about time to just step into that because we're not in a world anymore where a saber tooth tiger is going to come. <laughs> there is very little that we should actually fear. And fear, if anything, for the majority of part of your average person today is telling you where your growth is, where your potential is. And stepping up to that, a little bit of bravery, a little bit of courage, welcome to finding yourself. Well, I want to thank you, Lee, for coming on the show and giving us your journey and your rise to the challenge. A lot of the things you talked about 
I definitely can learn more about myself and what I can do to grow as an individual, but the listeners too. They can take your advice and your tips and they can grow and they can end up rising to their challenge. And I want to thank you for coming on to the show. Oh yeah, thank you Alex, it's been great. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember, you can follow us on all your major favorite podcast platforms and make sure you follow us on all our social media, the Rise of the Challenge podcast, Instagram, and Facebook group. Remember, starting Monday or September 21st is when we are launching our YouTube channel. So make sure you follow and subscribe and make sure you turn on your bell notifications. How you rise to the challenge, you decide.